This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is such a joy to be able to spend time, that's all in quotes, with you every morning <laughs> and those that come back and listen to us later on on the podcast, The Gospel for Life. Thank you also for those that have reached out, sent us emails with questions or topic suggestions. Um, the one we're actually going through right now on repentance is, is the result of uh, a listener's email to us. If you have questions, concerns, if you simply just want us to pray for you, um, you can send any of this to the Gospel for Life Idaho at gmail.com. So I'll say that one more time, the Gospel for Life Idaho at gmail.com. You will get an automatic reply that's just generated, and then eventually one of us will circle back and send out a more personalized response to your email. And we did want to also just remind you that we do have the Reformation Boise Conference on the books, ready to go. It is September 22nd and 23rd, and we have our speakers, um, Dr. Jonathan Gibson and Dr. Miles Van Pelt, and they're going to be talking about the covenant, a topic that is very near and dear to all of us here in the studio. And our hope and prayer is that as you come out for the conference, it will be a topic that is near and dear to you. Gentlemen, am I missing anything that should be announced to our listeners this morning? Well, no. I'm not I'm not exactly sure. I think we covered the conference, but every time we come up on a conference, we've actually got two conferences being planned at the same time. So uh, next year's uh, – this year and next year are being worked together. Uh, sometimes that doesn't always work out for us as we're trying to coordinate speakers' times, but – I'm, uh, we can look forward to this conference where, you know, when we talk about covenant, we're talking about, you know, the promises that God has made, you know, through binding himself. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And how does that flesh out in um, in the, that relationship with that we have with God? So it's going to be a great conference. And in that is the the heart of it. Covenant is not just a theological discussion or or, or mantra. It's actually a relationship. Mm -hmm. And the topic that we've been covering the last little while is really at the very core. The reason why we're talking about this is that we are in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> there are times when we break that relationship with our sin. And so this whole topic of repentance that we've been spending some time in on is what does it look like when we've broken fellowship to have that fellowship restored? And the how that is restored is through true repentance. And we've been using Thomas Watson, and he has six things that he would say are, need to be 
present for there to be true repentance, and the extension of that would be true reconciliation. And he says, sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, and then today we will look at shame for sin, and then in the next couple days, hatred for sin, and then finally turning from sin. So number four is shame for sin. Watson, I this is just my own personal belief. So I, I actually went to Puritan Reform Theological Seminary, so the Puritans were kind of a big deal to the seminary and, and were part of our instruction. And I took a class entitled Puritan Theology, and I made a deal. This was probably the dumbest thing I did when I was in seminary. But I came to the professor and I said, hey, I have not read a lot of the Puritans. Instead of the papers that are assigned, would you instead allow me to read 15 of these Puritan paperbacks and write a, a quick kind of quick review and, and response to each of the books? And the professor willingly agreed to that, and it was only afterwards that I realized just what I had, I had <laughs> committed, yourself to. committed myself to. And what I found in that is that Thomas Watson, probably the most accessible of the, of the Puritans, but for sure, without any question, the most colorful, oh, yeah. the most imaginative, um, his use of language is is really unlike any of, of the rest. And so on this shame for sin, I wrote down three quotes of his, and I'm going to just share those because I, I just felt like they, they captured at least in part what he's talking about for shame for sin. First is, blushing is the color of virtue. And then second, he says, when the heart has been made black with sin, grace makes the face red with blushing. And then third, repentance causes a holy bashfulness. Mm-hmm. So as you guys hear those quotes, how would you respond to, to what Watson is just setting up as far as just this shame for sin? One of the things that comes to mind is uh, Psalm 83. And uh, Psalm 83 is one of those psalms that falls into the category of what we call the imprecatory psalms. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, what that means is these are psalms that call for God's judgment upon his enemies. And some of them have very vivid language. Uh, Psalm 83 uses language like uh, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. Uh, As fire burns the woods, as a flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. But Psalm 83 of the imprecatory psalms has a verse that I think unlocks the imprecatory psalms for us and how we can use them in the gospel age and how they're to be viewed. Uh, Verse 16 says, Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Mm -hmm. And so the prayer is concerning God's enemies, Lord, fill them with shame for their actions, their rebellion against you, that they may seek your name, it's language of that they may be saved, that they may be reconciled. But, I mean, the whole choice that all humanity has is either you are filled with shame, you seek reconciliation with God, or you stand proud and opposed to him, leading to condemnation. And uh, so, yeah, shame for sin and our rebellion against God 
is a central theme throughout Scripture. Now, sometimes shame is is actually seen as a negative word mm. and a negative feeling. Watson doesn't mean it that way at all. Mm. So yeah. maybe let's help our listeners understand. Well, why is shame a as a, a positive thing, not the negative that we often associate with it? Well, I think if you if you think of what Paul writes as he concludes the book of Romans in Romans chapter 16, and he's talking what he desires for uh, the believers there, he says, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent <coughs> as to what is evil. And, you know, the shame, the blushing over, the, over sinful act, acts comes from, you know, being uh, maybe – wise in the area of what is good. You know, the knowledge of the good will cause you to blush at the at at the thought of this sin, this evil that comes in. So you you know you don't have to know this sin you don't have to know that sin by having developed all the contours of it. You know that it's wrong because you're you know the good. So that you know you you know, it, you you can almost you can almost see it. You think about a small child that's uh, you know uh, you know maybe the the older woman pays attention to the little boy and he blushes, mm. you know, because it's an area in which he hasn't discovered yet, and and this is a and this is what God wants a, a, from us. He wants us to be undiscovered in evil practice or sin and so he the the shame comes from when it the thought crosses your mind yeah i think of the vision on isaiah 6 where isaiah is given this beautiful vision of the throne room of god and his first response is woe is me wretched man that i am right he's Mm -hmm. he's ashamed to be present and acknowledges his need for cleansing before god i think that's Mm -hmm. the the shame that we're talking about or that watson wants is the shame that drives us to the the mercy and humility mm-hmm. before the throne of God. It's not the it's not the shame that casts us into despair, like mm-hmm. we talked about on yesterday's episode. It's a it's a godly shame that we should feel when confronted with the knowledge of good. How ugly evil is. And uh, Jesus gives us a good picture of shame for sin in this account of the tax collector who can't even look up to heaven as he prays. Mm-hmm. He's beating his chest, and he can't even lift his eyes because of the shame he feels for his sin. Ezra gives us a beautiful example of this um, in his prayer that he has in Ezra, that's recorded in Ezra 9. It says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt, and for our iniquities we... Our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands and to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. And it's just a beautiful mix of saying, we are ashamed for what we are and what we've become and what we have done. But we are at the same time acknowledging your goodness and your grace that you've shown to us, that God is the reliever of that shame. The Bible opens with this. Mm-hmm. God creates Adam and Eve naked, and the line of the scripture is they're naked and unashamed. Mm-hmm. But it, as soon as they sin, what do they do? They go and hide. 
They feel shame. They feel that shame. And what does God do? He covers them. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture of the covering that each of us mm-hmm. receive in Jesus Christ. That in ourselves, in our, our sin, we should feel shame. And because we, because we are sinning before a holy and righteous God, it's the Isaiah 6 moment when we see the holiness of God, the only appropriate response is to feel shame for our sinfulness. But it's not to go hide. Mm-hmm. It's to go and be clothed in the perfect mm-hmm. righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that mm-hmm. balance has to, has to be there. Yep. What other insights would you give our listeners as we, with a minute to go, what, what you would give to them with regard to shame for sin? Uh, Watson gives nine quick prompts to think through. We don't have time to go through them all, but just a couple that I really like is number seven, every sin there is foolishness. And so if you've ever acted foolish in front of a group of people and you get that kind of hot shame feeling, uh, just the recognition that in every sin we are believing something that is foolish and a recognition of that and repenting and turning into trust is a must. Yeah, I think if uh, we're ever caught or realize that we've sinned against an individual, you know, there is a certain amount of shame if we are truly repentant of what we have done to them. How much more than sin against a holy God? We should feel shame. And the shame of knowing that we've actually done things that we know better. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to, to do something and feel foolish because uh, you just didn't know any better. But the greatest shame is when we actually sin against knowledge. that we've committed something that we should not have done. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We will see you next week.